Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Today is going to be the third episode of our Purpose Book Club. We are reading The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. If you have followed along with this, I really appreciate it. It was kind of a, a pretty big step in making some new different content for you guys. I did it pretty pretty early in the life of a podcast. A lot of podcasts don't get to this kind of new content very early. And uh, I appreciate y'all inspiring me to do that and reading along with me. I know a few of y'all are. Um, this book has been really good up to this point. Uh, I've really enjoyed reading it a second time. Uh, I wanted to to do something special for y'all today. The person that actually introduced me to this book, and I believe he bought it for me for my birthday, um, is Sam Pearson. You know him, you love him. Sam, how are you doing today? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Well, you know you can't get on the podcast without stating your purpose. So yeah. what is your purpose? I'm just going to stick with the tried and true to be a good, uh, good husband and before too long, a good father. Yes, sir. Good <laughs> husband and good father. I really like that. Um, you're working your way into a leader as well. You're, you're being a pretty good leader amongst all your, all your friends and um, leading the way on, on a lot of different aspects, like, you know, showing me the book and um, you're going to have a kid. So you'll be the first out of, out of my friend group. That's actually pretty close to have a kid. So yeah, Um, you'll be leading me and others through that hopefully. Yeah. Take notes. Yeah. Take notes (laughs) of what, should I take notes of what to do or what not to do? Both. 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 Probably what not to do. (laughs) Probably what not to do. (laughs) Those are going to be the little bit more obvious ones. Yeah. It's okay. I'm sure. uh, I don't know. Either the first kid, you fuck them up so bad that they become something decent, kind of like myself or, uh, well, I don't know that I'm too decent, but (laughs) either that or, you know, it, it, it can go both ways, but yeah. Anyway, man, uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. I stopped at page 132. So I would like to get just kind of, let's go over your general kind of commentary um, on the book kind of up to that point. I know you don't have detailed notes up to that point because I told you only after 132. Right. Um, but let's get your general commentary on the on the book up to kind of this point, And then, uh, then we'll dive into the, uh, the nuts and bolts of this particular section. You know, I feel like uh, when I read through the first half, it kind of, a lot of it connected to the way I, like, I don't know. I felt like he kind of felt like a lot of us did. Right. Like a lot of people do that don't realize it. Um, especially like early in the beginning when he was talking about he was writing for this fitness magazine, but he wasn't following his own advice. Yeah. Um, so I feel like a lot of people are really good at giving advice, but they don't ever want to follow their own. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So that one kind of stuck out to me because he talked about that pretty early on. You, you meant that just kind of he felt a little bit hypocritical because um, he was he was writing for this column and he just you know he was a drunk that yeah. didn't take care of his nutrition or his fitness. Yeah, exactly. Um, it would be like me if I didn't go out and try to fulfill my purpose and, right. and be better. You know right. what I mean? And I, I think it, a lot of people do feel like that. And if you listen to Jordan Peterson much, um, you'll hear him talk about how um, people are their own worst enemy and yeah. people will begin to resent themselves because they're not who they want to be, um, who they think that they that they should be. They give right. off this false persona and they're not actually living that. And people 
you know, a lot of people can be hypocrites and they'll be okay with that. But the majority of people hate a hypocrite, especially when it's themselves. Oh, absolutely. Um, so did you feel like you were getting a little bit of that before you read the book? Um, not necessarily, but I mean, it's just one of those things that you can see and you know what happens. Cause I mean, just think about like relationship advice, mm-hmm. like when you can see, like when you have a buddy that's with a girl that's, and they're not good together, it's so obvious. And you try to tell them and yeah. like, yeah, whatever. And then. You know, they don't really realize it until it's over and they're like, oh my gosh, like I was stupid. Yeah. And it, everybody is like that. Like when you're the one in the relationship, you don't see it. Yeah. So it's just kind of like that. Like it's so easy to give people advice, but when it comes to yourself, it's, you don't follow your own advice. Hard to take it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even your own advice, especially for somebody else, even your own advice, it's, it's pretty hard to take when, right. when, uh, when it's something especially close to you. You know, it's funny when you have buddies that are sitting there telling you like, Hey man, you probably shouldn't drink like 12 Dr. Peppers in a day. That's, yeah. that's not yeah. something good to do. And then, yeah. uh, it takes a, a book to, <laughs> yeah. a book to, to realize that you probably shouldn't do that. And that's right. an inside joke for people that don't yeah. know. Um, but so anyway, man, what uh, what kind of got you hooked on the book? Like, you know, we 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 both read enough books that you know that you get a certain amount of pages in there, and you know you're going to finish the book. You either know what, if you're not going to finish the book, or you know that you are. What kind of got you hooked on this book? What were the ideas and concepts that said, "Hey, I need to put this in my brain for sure"? You know, overall, what pushed me through it is I wanted to finish the story on the hunt because um, yeah, this that guy. Makes sense. Because he was kind of a, I was interested to see because he was kind of a soy boy before, like he was this journalist and a professor, like living in Vegas, and uh, so I was interested to see how that hunt was going to go because that is a very intense hunt that he went on to be. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Essentially unprepared for. I was really interested to see that, and then in the beginning he brought up kind of what I had talked about in our first episode of how people are so disconnected and we seek comfort. Yeah. And uh, so he kind of got me there because I agreed with him on those points. And then I also wanted to see like how his hunt went. So that's really what pushed me through the through the story. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that a little bit because it was a hunting story. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get that. But I really, really liked how he was a little bit vulnerable in the beginning ca- talking yeah. about his alcoholism. Right. And I really kind of wanted to see how he pulled himself out of that. Yeah. And then kind of like you, it was a little bit of curiosity of, um, <laughs> is this dude going to be like a commie fuck, you know, yeah. about hunting or whatever? Like, yeah. I didn't know how it was going to go. Um with with the hunt story right. and so if he was just gonna bust into tears like yeah 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 <laughs> which you know it is an emotional thing oh, like, absolutely um but and he talks a little bit about that in the section that we're actually reading but yeah um yeah i did kind of want to know what it, he, he really piqued my curiosity and especially just the the title is i don't know if the right word is provocative but um it's almost like a challenge. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the comfort crisis, especially yeah. for guys like you and I, yeah. that um, we look at people who um, they wear their comfort mask when they go out into the, into the United, into the United, you know, the grocery stores and stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, they, they do everything to seek comfort. They, they yeah. don't want to seek any discomfort. Yeah. You and I look, kind of look down on people like that. Absolutely. Um, not really look down on, but we would never want to be them. Um, no. And maybe we do look down on, maybe we shouldn't look down on them, but um you know, it is what it is. Anyway, you know, people constantly seek comfort and especially after kind of what his point is after COVID, um, that became to where it was almost, 
it was allowable it was allowable to be militant about your comfort you yeah. know people couldn't be too close to you people yeah. if they weren't wearing masks they were you know the devil incarnate they were yeah. trying to kill you and your grandma and everybody that you loved and whatever made you uncomfortable uh was now decreed away by law right um, well and then that and then just physically too like people are allowed to be lazy you're like well i'm not gonna go out and do this because it's too dangerous out there i'm gonna get sick so i'm gonna stay home oh i'm gonna order my groceries to be delivered i'm gonna order my food Mm -hmm. to be delivered for every meal like yeah it gave them an excuse to be even lazier right well and i think my point with that was in the wake of that people like you and me the reason that this book was so enticing was because (laughs) it's it's almost like wait is he calling me one of them you know what i mean like i'm not one of them yeah and so you i wanted to find out like hey uh what is he trying to say here and i want to make sure that i'm not on the on the uber comfortable side of all these people that you know have hated me for two fucking years and you know because i made them you know the slightest bit uncomfortable and that's really what the world i mean boils down to is that um people don't want to be uncomfortable and i think that's what really got me into the book yeah well and that's uh Going back to uh, Andy over at the Norse Mentality, that is one of his things is to seek discomfort. Right. It's not be uncomfortable. You know, it's one thing to be uncomfortable. It's completely different to seek discomfort. To do yeah. it on purpose is where you grow. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's pretty valid. So let's get into the uh, the actual section of this book, 132. Um and y'all, y'all guys, if you've been following this, you know that I'm not too big on covering the hunting story. Um, it just kind of is what it is. It, it's a good story. I yeah. mean, I, I enjoyed the yeah. the hunt. But what he does is he layers the story in with it's it's a situation of extreme uh, uncomfort, discomfort. I don't know how you say that. Um, so it's it's extremely relevant to the book. I mean, the book's built on it. But uh, he layers it into these informational pieces uh, to where you don't get too fucking bored of what he's saying. And he kind of uses the hunt as uh, – I guess what would you not page breaks, but he uses the hunt as breaks for all of these information. Yeah, and he uses it to change topics about what he's going to talk about. Absolutely, he um, uses it to tie it all together. So, like I was, it's kind of like the vessel that carries you through. Yeah, and for me, it broke it up. It kept it from being like a Jordan Peterson book where it's just like reading yeah. a textbook. Yeah, it made it a lot easier to read. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know that his uh, informational insights were as good as like what a Jordan Peterson no, would be. No, no, not at all. But, but. Um, not that you were saying that, but because you can get through a Jordan Peterson book. Um, the one criticism I do have of him is his like his informational content yeah. was kind of dull. I thought the hunt was really good, and the informational yeah. content was good. It was it's good information. Yeah, but it was kind of dull. Yeah, I'll give you um, that. And so I do think that the hunting stuff was needed. Um, in between the breaks of information oh, for sure so anyway um we start off he's talking about being hungry uh in the woods it's just like i said the trip um and then he starts on page 137 he start he talks about being hungry um kind of what what you go through when you're hungry he gives a bunch of facts and statistics uh talks about nutritionists there's not much that i can really add sam i mean yeah, he just talks about being hungry for a while and why being hungry is good. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. The problem is he doesn't provide like a lot of hardcore statistics and studies to support like why the intermittent fasting is yeah. is excellent. Um, right. And I'm not doubting him. I've heard a bunch of people say it differently, but he doesn't really... 
he doesn't stand on very hard ground. I think what he's yeah. trying to do is present people with ideas and information. Yeah. And I think he does that he's, well. He stays very vague. Yeah. Because um, that a lot of what he says basically boils down to like eat less, move more, and you'll lose mm-hmm. weight. And that's basically what he goes through there. Yeah. And I mean, I completely agree with him. And, I, and one thing that I did appreciate was the uh, the commentary on processed foods. Yes. So when he's talking about, well, uh, yeah, everything. And it wasn't really his commentary. It was uh, Cashy's, I believe. Yeah. Um, is it Cashy? Uh, yeah. Kept so. off a collective 245,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was, uh, Cashy was the one that was saying, yeah, well, everything is processed. And that's what I have, because yeah. we fight that all the time with the feed yard industry. Because, yeah. you know, once you get into this personal development sta- you know, space, everybody's like, game meat is the only way to go. Yeah. And, you know, that factory farming bullshit. Yeah. Well, you and I know that those cattle eat real, you know, real food. Yeah. Um, we've both been inside uh, feedlots. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a dog food plant, no. but I guarantee you that what those fucking cattle are eating is way, way better, better quality than oh, yeah. what the dogs are eating. I've, I've yeah. been in both, and I would absolutely put you know a handful of rations in my mouth versus um, oh, yeah. a handful of dog food oh, after Cor- seeing what the Corey two used eat. to grab flakes right out of the mill and eat them. Yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> I mean we I've, I've done that too. Yeah. Um, so we know what those cattle eat, and yes, they're given you know some of them are given hormones, antibiotics. It all comes out of their they, they it legally has to pass test before it can be right. butchered for sale right. um, for you know no hormones no antibiotics so like all of these things that um, we get into what I liked about Cashy's approach is that he didn't single in on anything other than what you know junk food yeah. and they really broke it down uh, Cashy and Easter broke it down into the uh, the the concept of what we're going to do is calories per bite or calories per pound yeah. this, is, this is how we're going to focus our attention yeah uh, I, re- I really liked that. And let's talk about, did it change your nutrition habits any? Um, Not really. It just made things make a lot more sense for me. Yeah. You know, um, the calories and the benefits you can get out of eating, say, a, a portion of meat versus two pounds of broccoli that it would take to... Mm-hmm. For me, it really helped like try to structure meals with what's going to f- keep me full and what's going to give me the actual nutrition. It's like chicken and rice, you know, yeah. the rice is what keeps you full, but the chicken is where you actually get your benefit protein. from your protein yeah. and your calories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for me, I don't know that it revolutionized, uh, my thoughts about nutrition because I'd yeah. already had Nick Shelton, right. um, to, to kind of help me out with some of that. Right. Um, uh, but it definitely put things into perspective. Right. And if you're somebody that is hearing this information for the first time, yeah. um, it's an excellent way to think about it. And what I really liked is the fact that he forced all of his clients to keep track of their food. That's the big, and that was the thing that I always knew too, is people behave differently when they know they're being watched. Right. And then, um, you know, even like, um, from his personal story, when he's talking about his lunch, he thought he was having these really healthy lunches cause he was just have like an apple with peanut butter. Right. But then he found out he was putting like four servings of peanut butter and getting like 800 calories yeah. on his healthy lunch because people don't really realize, you know, we don't look at the fine print on what an actual serving size is on what you're supposed to eat from yeah. these things. And that's where a lot of people get into trouble or like sauces. You know, right. you can count, people will count calories. It happens a lot with uh, bodybuilders and stuff too. They count calories, but they don't count sauces. Yeah. And you look at like olive oil. If you cook your stuff in olive oil, olive oil has tons of calories. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm very guilty of this. Yeah. Um, And I think, I don't know. 
I think that with the sauces and stuff like that, as long as you're not going ham with the sauces, yeah. Um, in my experience, I don't know that it matters. Like if yeah, if you're doing competitive bodybuilding, right? Um, I think it does. But if yes, measure your sauces. But if the only way that you can choke down a salad is to put a tablespoon of ranch on it, yeah, that's then, not yeah. Then do it. You know, and I'm not saying that's what you were saying. No, but but, but some people do that. You yeah. know, they're like, oh yeah, well I only had this, but they put a pound of fucking ketchup on it, and I'm like, yeah, well that's not healthy anymore. <laughs> yeah, like uh, they'll they'll have the chef salad and yeah. they'll pour. Um, you know, two cups of Thousand Island dressing on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, sir, you just ate 1,500 calories exactly. on your salad. Yeah. Or um, they're like, oh, I had a salad, but they put like four chicken strips on it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fried chicken strips. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think, again, the point is that, that that's fine. Just know what you're eating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, know, yeah. know what you're putting in your body. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he talked about the... Um, you know, the idea that by tracking something, people are going to automatically hold themselves more accountable. Um, that's 100% true. Yeah. I, it happened for me. Um, it still happens for me uh, because when I fall off the wagon, it's because I didn't track. Yeah. Um, because I'm not having to admit to myself and others yeah. what I'm eating. Yeah. So, um, you know, another thing that they talked about too that kind of another thing that just kind of clicked with me is when he was like, you know, to have someone that. Uh, official, I guess. I can't think of the right word. Um, someone that professional to say it doesn't matter what you eat as long as you stay under a certain amount. Right. And like people, he's like, you know, if you want to eat cake, like, yeah, you can only eat cake for a day, but if you stay under that limit and just eat cake, you're going to feel like shit. Yeah. Um, I noticed that when I first started eating clean, I'd been eating clean for like a month. Right. And then uh, we went to the fair and I got some fair food. Yeah. And I felt like absolute dog shit. Oh, it happens. Yeah. So I was like, so it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, like if people that have no clue try to start dieting and then they try to eat junk food, like they're not going to do it for very long. No. If they're sticking to their limits. And then, so not only are you going to feel bad, you're not going to have the energy you need to make it through the day. So. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think when I first got off of uh, 75 hard, uh, what we did, and of course, I had just done 75 days of like a pretty hardcore fucking diet. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that was like semi bad that I was allowed to have was pizza. Yeah. Um, and you know, wasn't really much. Yeah. And so I went and had some boneless wings with Scott and like a glass of whiskey. Yeah. I've never felt worse yeah. than after that meal. Yeah, It really does. Um, it was just kind of a reminder of how awful the shit I was putting in my body was. Yeah. Um, the same thing with like water. Like now that I've drank a gallon of water every day for, I mean, at least 90% of this year. Right. Um, I've drank a gallon of water every single day. Right. And now when I don't have that water, I feel like shit. Just dehydrated. Well, and I'm like, I used to live like this, yeah. bro. Like, I cannot believe I used to live like this. Yeah, that's me with sleep. Sleep, When yeah. I don't get a lot of sleep now, I'm like, I used to run on two or three hours of sleep back yeah. in Regency. And like now, when I stay up late, like I feel horrible the next day. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been friends long enough that yeah. I'm sure we've both seen this to yeah. where, and you're the ultimate, nah, it'll be fine kind of guy. Oh, absolutely. And so I'm like, are you sure you don't need some more sleep? And you're like, nah, it'll be all right. <laughs> and it is. I mean, I push yeah. through, but I can definitely tell the difference. Yeah. Um, no, it's same. I mean, same thing with me. I mean, we've both watched each other grow through some of those bad habits. Absolutely. And I think we would both agree that we're probably more pleasant to be around and we can tell a change in each other yeah. when we are living clean and doing things right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, that's the thing too is with living by example because everybody else can see it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought, uh, you know, 
there was a quote that you just said that you just made me forget what the fuck I was about to say. <laughs> um, no, like everybody can notice like when it comes to whether you're living right or not, um, assume that everybody sees about 20 times more than what you think they see. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and that comes from Jocko. He's like, if they can feel it, yeah. um, if don't ever assume that people can't see or understand what you're doing. Yeah. Um, because they, they can. And he talks about it specifically with like trying to step up and take credit of things. Yeah. Like if, if you're like, Oh, th- this is my time. I'm going to take credit of this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I did that. Yeah. Everybody can see it. Yeah. Everybody can see that you're trying to do a credit grab. Right. Um, same thing with the way you're living your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're constantly telling people that you're on a diet, yeah. but, uh, they come home to your house and maybe people aren't as observant as I am, but, yeah. um, you know, for me, like, I'll, I'll sneak, like, I'll go to somebody's house and they're like, oh, I'm on a diet. And I'm like, really? Because there's a half rolled up bag of Lay's in your pantry that I just saw you open <laughs> five seconds. You know, not the Lay's, but like, right. saw your pantry open and I saw the Lay's in there. Like, how old are them Lay's? Mm-hmm. Um, and people notice things. Yeah. And uh, now this is not to say that everybody's watching you all the time. No. Because, you know, there's a there's a fine, uh, fine balance. But I would assume that people notice a lot of you know, a lot more of when you're not holding up to your standard. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's better to fall on that. And, you know, you see a lot of people that say, I don't give a fuck what other people think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a damn or like, nobody cares. Nobody's watching. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, I don't care what they think. Well, um, if you're going to err on one side, (laughs) if, if you're incapable of understanding nuance, then err on the side of people are watching what you're doing and um, people can see, uh, when you're falling short. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, kind of. I just don't want it to be... I don't want it to come off as, like, be paranoid because people are going to catch you. It's, yeah, 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 It's just more like don't lie about it mm-hmm. and just lead by example instead. Mm-hmm. Is the... Is I feel like what we're trying to get out here is, like... Yeah, Not yeah, necessarily, yeah. like, don't be... Wor- like, because I'm kind of one of those, I'm like, fuck everybody else, but I'm also not going to say I'm doing something that I'm not. Yeah. Because people can tell. Yeah. So it's... it's yeah. No, I, I, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a fine line Yeah. because also I've caught myself saying, oh, uh, because it's easy to walk into that space of where you think you're always the center of attention. Um, and I know this from like, not that I'm always the center, not that I should always be the, the center of attention, but I always think people are looking at me like yeah. in the grocery store and I'm always like, oh man, people can see it and nobody's right. paying attention. Yeah. But that's like the other side of the extreme to where you're constantly thinking that people are watching you and like the right. paranoid, um, right. to where I fall on that quite a bit. Right. Uh, but what we're saying is try to walk the line between everybody's watching me all the time, 100%. And I always care about what people think. Um, but just understand that other people can notice when you're not holding up to the standard yeah. that you've already set. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is embarrassing when you think about it to, to claim that you're living one way and you're not living that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got I don't either. I don't know how we got it. I think we were talking about us being able to notice what what yeah. uh, you what can the also, other is doing. I'm just gonna say real quick. You can also use that to your advantage. I do it sometimes to hold myself accountable. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I'll tell somebody when I'm gonna do something. Yeah. So that I'm like, well, now I can't. Like for example, at work this week, I talked or last week, I talked about. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go do this 10 mile hike this weekend. Yeah. And then you know, I told like four or five people. So I was like, well, now I can't not go because I told them I was gonna do it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I mean, you can use it to your advantage too if you know that you're are going to short yourself. Cause I like when I got up that morning, I was like, ah, I kind of don't want to go now. And I'm like, fuck, I already told everybody I was going to do it. So yeah. When'd you go? Uh, last Friday. Where at? In, uh, Pablo. 
Balladru. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just I don't know if you listened to uh, last weekend's episode. Not yet. But um, speaking of the book and the Misogi, um, I have decided that my Misogi next year. I'm going to hike every mile of trail in Paladuro. Hell yeah. Um, and not sleep until I do. So, like like in one day, like, set out there, hike every single mile of trail in one. Of like a certain trail or? No, all of them. There's like 200 miles of trails there. I don't, th- I don't think it's 200. There's a lot. On their trail map, it's only, I, I don't know, I haven't done the math yet, but it looked like it was only about 50 miles. No, there's more than 50 are you sure? Yeah, because I've done three separate like ten mile hikes in there, and I haven't done very many. Okay, well maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm gonna fucking do it anyway. All right. <laughs> no, but I want to. I want to do like a big hike. I was, uh, think, for my know, I was thinking the same thing. Honestly, I was gonna do. Uh, I think one of the Comanches is pretty long. I was is gonna it? try and do uh, one of the Comanches as a Misogi. Yeah. Well, and maybe I could be a little bit retarded too, uh, because I looked at the uh, the maybe I was looking at the hours and not the. Uh, um, miles maybe I don't know um, anyway it doesn't it doesn't matter <laughs> but we're gonna go I'm gonna go hike at least a lot of them and I may do it out at Meredith because Meredith has less trails gotcha um, there's only like the Devil's Canyon and then Turkey Creek yeah and then uh, what other one I don't know there's one in Spring Canyon and all in all yeah so I may do it at Meredith but I, I want to hike about 30 miles um in one day and if it if it's anywhere less than like 50 miles out of paladero then i'm gonna go do it out of paladero because it's close yeah but anyway yeah telling other people that you're gonna do that my point was that i put that on the podcast uh yesterday gotcha and uh not yesterday sunday and now that i've told everybody i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it yeah Uh, because i was debating whether i was gonna do it or not yeah so but anyway back to the book what you're all here for instead of sam and i conversating um we get into it yeah he just talks a lot about food and it's it's really good information i i can't add anything to it i i, I have nothing to add to it not really um I, I found no way to make it better really um and i think sam's kind of in agreement right yeah pretty much so um i do kind of want to disagree he talks about being hungry um and the effects of being hungry kind of like the mental effects of being hungry uh I don't know that, I mean, I don't, how do you, how do you feel about that, Sam? Because I don't know that really forcing yourself to be hungry or fasting, like, yeah, it makes you uncomfortable. Um, but he also, I feel like he contradicts himself because he talks about the people that go to extreme on their diets yeah. are more likely to fail. Yeah. I feel like intermittent fasting is a pretty extreme type diet. Um, the way I think intermittent fasting should kind of go, um, is not like skip for a whole day, Yeah, but you know, if you have like an early dinner, and you're done by like six ish. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't eat breakfast, yeah, kind of like they talked about, then you know, you there you have a good 14 to 16 hour fast before lunch. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of getting intermittent fasting through that, which is the way I've never really been a breakfast guy. So I've always kind of done that. Yeah. Um, and uh, on the Norse mentality, he actually kind of talks about it in the same way. Um, Cause he, he talks about doing like a fast workout in the morning, right? Which is what I do now, actually, because um, I go before work and I don't eat breakfast. But he's like, you know, historically we haven't been able to store food like we do now, and you can mm-hmm. just pop something in the microwave and have a full meal. You had to work before you got to eat, right? You had to go out and collect some berries, or you had to go hunt, or do so. You didn't just get to roll out of bed and pound twelve hundred calories, yeah, in cinnamon rolls before you went to work, like. 
So I'm, it makes sense to me, historically-wise, the way we evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as that, as for intermittent fasting, like skipping whole days, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far, but I do agree with like early dinner, skip breakfast. Yeah. Um, cause it does give your body time to burn down what you've eaten. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I think it's six and one half a dozen in the other. Honestly, yeah. I, I think if you, if you crush 700 calories for breakfast, I, I don't really see an issue with that. Right. Um, if you just want to do it to do it, then yeah, that's fine. Uh, I would kind of default to Andrew Huberman on, and not really the nutrition side, but he's had a lot of good guests on uh, talking about nutrition. And I just remembered this. I don't actually have uh, good notes on it, but go look. And he talks about uh, optimizing people's nutrition. Right. And basically, even from this book, uh, what we're getting at is that there's about a thousand ways to skin this cat. Oh, absolutely. And what it comes down to is uh, calories and nutrients. Yeah. Um, if you can balance calories and like macronutrients, yeah, then that's that's really um, the way you need to go. And if you need any help with that, I don't know if Nick is still doing uh, remote coaching or go find a nutrition coach. I know Nick likes RP Strength, um, the RP Strength app for actual nutrition coaching. Is that the Renaissance? Uh, uh I don't know. He just calls it RP Strength. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's the Renaissance. Sorry. Well, it, it's supposedly really, really good yeah. um, for nutrition tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you guys. Really enjoyed this section. Um, had a lot of good info in it. Nothing to really add on it. So I think we're going to move on. Um, and he talks about that a lot. Um, and I do think that a lot of people struggle from uh, obesity. Uh, it is a pretty pretty big ec- epidemic. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think the, the calorie-dense foods, that's a pretty big reason for it. <laughs> yeah. So we get into the uh, story a little bit more. We're now in part four on page 173. Um, so we're still in the story. Um, I did want to kind of note that they talk about um, kind of hunting ethics. And this is kind of per person, but I kind of read this and just didn't really enjoy their take uh when he's talking about on page 176 uh towards the end he i'll read you this little section um if i can actually uh read this time uh he says to kill time we start chatting about the ethics of technology and hunting here we have this rifle that could easily shoot a caribou at 500 yards or more says donnie but we're not going to do that because i don't think that is that's a fair chase some guys are even using rifles and tech to shoot a thousand yards that's not hunting that's a video game those guys are so far away that even if the animal could see them it probably wouldn't uh, consider them a threat too little tech on the other hand can also be questionable you have people who are using longbows they made themselves and broadheads they carved from stone says donnie it's admirable but those weapons are too low tech and inefficient they reduce the chance of a swift kill and often just injure the animal what tool are you deadliest with and how can you use that tool in a way that is on equal ground with the animal for donnie the answer is somewhere between taking shots from multiple football fields away and shooting twigs with rocks attached to them he sees no real ethical difference between bows and rifles so long as a person shoots close enough to that animal uh shoots close enough that the animal is more likely to catch you stalking than in not i prefer bows because they are silent he says and that's it um yeah i mean okay uh the the, the problem is there's not any real difference between like 100 yards and a thousand yards with a rifle um you can get within 100 yards of a deer 
and elk pretty damn easy. Yeah. Um, it's not too terrible. And a thousand, I would argue that a thousand yards is more difficult than a hundred yards because hitting a thousand yard cold bore shot, uh, you have to know exactly what the fuck you're doing with a rifle. That's true. Um, so I don't know how you kind of feel about that, but, uh, just for, just for the non hunters out there. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's an impressive shot yeah. for sure, but he's just coming from an ethic standpoint. I kind of get what he's saying, but it just seems a little hardcore to me. Yeah. I, well, and even hard, it just doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. Um, and again, Donnie, who knows how old Donnie is. Donnie may be, you know, boomer as fuck. Um, and you know the sticks with the longbow like yeah you want to use something efficient you don't want to go out there and kill somebody with your kill somebody <laughs> you, yeah. you don't want to kill a, a deer with a field tip um you know something blunt or anything like yeah. that like yeah I, I get it and the goal is to be ethical and to make a kill but a lot of that comes with training and uh shot placement yeah, um absolutely. versus like how far away you are yeah. and so just just for non-hunters it really doesn't matter and like he said oh well you need to get close enough to them, even with a rifle, for them to be able to to catch you stalking. That's that's kind of silly. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of counterintuitive yeah. to the way we evolved. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Yeah. And again, if you think that uh, if you think that the caribou don't have a massive advantage where they are right now, oh yeah, um, between their sense of smell and I mean, between their sense of smell and just the fact that they live in that environment twenty four seven, getting within five hundred yards, uh, especially in the wilds of Alaska, oh, yeah. of in a the caribou flat is flat tundra. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he's not wrong that you know these guns. I mean, a four hundred yard shot's almost a pot shot. Oh, um, depending on if they're flat, that's another thing that yeah. um yeah and he kind of moves in and talks about how it, it's just a little bit misleading because he talks uh, later about how he gets his absolute sniper friend to uh go and teach him how to do long-range shooting and he he says i was dinging targets from 1000 yards away yeah well it's easy to do when you know your dope you know your wind you know your angle right um and you know, got a special forces sniper helping you. Yeah, out. well, and you're you're able to put re- repeated shots. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if I shoot and I'm right, well, once you get your holds, then yeah, I can throw, especially yeah, with a over over 24 that. power scope. Like yeah. I, In yeah, a I controlled can, environment with a bipod. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, all the only reason is not to tear the guy down or Donnie or whatever. Donnie's uh, hunted way more animals than I probably ever will, but uh, it's just a little bit misleading. And don't think that if somebody, if your uncle comes home and says that he shot an elk at 400 yards he's not unethical because he didn't stock within 100 yards right um there's there's hardly any difference between 100 yards and 400 um yeah it's a little bit more difficult to get within 100 yards but uh once you once you start closing that gap with 100 yards that's when it really yeah. really gets hard yeah. um so anyway that was just a little bit of commentary on the story that i thought was a little bit funny um so uh, there is a little bit of note in here about how uh, I, I think you and I talked about this on a previous episode with you about how people in agriculture are a lot more open to hunting yeah. and appreciative of hunting yeah. uh, because they're closer to death. He notes in here, again, I'm going to try to read. I don't know why I can read well in my head, not out loud, but uh, it's on page 180, the middle of the page. He says the Purdue University researchers discovered that the people who viewed hunting favorably were more likely to have had interactions with livestock and live in rural areas. It was the people most remote moved from the food source mostly urbanites who had experienced only perfectly manicured meat all lined up in earnest at the grocery store who had the harshest opinion about killing one's own meat um true statement yeah yeah that is pretty much that's kind of what i had talked about i mean yeah because we're so disconnected people have no clue where anything comes from Mm -mm. no i agree with you and uh 
and again for all of you non non hunters out of there or out there maybe I, I don't know if you've gotten this far into the podcast and you don't enjoy hunting um, I don't know what you're here for because <laughs> uh, uh, I, I talk about it a lot but um people don't really understand that uh the most ethical way you can actually like kill an animal is to put a broadhead through their lungs or a bullet through the heart yeah um the most honestly the best way for that animal to die is that way yeah and Be- they they actually broke that down in here too he's yeah, like yeah. you know if we don't shoot this this guy's so old like yeah he's either gonna get taken out and eaten alive over the course of 20 minutes by bears or wolves mm-hmm. or his teeth will get so dull that he literally starves to death because yep. he can't eat like yep. a bullet is a mercy for yeah elk and, and an old elk i mean any elk i mean honestly yeah. or not these are caribou i don't know how i fucked that oh, up sorry. But, i think i said elk. Uh, <laughs> it's okay um Anyway, yeah, any any animal, elk, caribou, deer, uh, those deer don't die. They don't die in a hospital bed, and, you know, no. Aunt Janet pulls the plug. That's no. not how that happens. Honestly, most animals don't yeah. just die of old age. Yeah, most Na- of them. Nature is merciless. Yeah. It is brutal. Yeah, cruel bitch is yes. nature. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically, if you have any questions on hunting ethics, uh, once again, I, I find it funny, all these vegans that uh, – you know, yeah, sometimes they order non-GMO or organic or something like that, but uh, what they don't understand is that farming, and this is not to attack farming, but all the habitat uh, destruction that happens when you, you know, plow down a grassland for yeah. uh, to throw in some fucking corn, yeah. um, all the rabbits and shit that are killed under a, yeah. you know, a plow or a combine, oh, yeah. um, deer get wrapped up in combines all the damn time. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, when you plant agriculture, yeah, you get other things to feed off of it deer will feed off of it ducks will come in geese things like that um pheasant you know but anyway if you have any questions on the ethics of hunting uh shoot me you know shoot me a message we can talk about it but these deer and elk and caribou are dying a pretty merciful merciful death um it's very quick uh so and again that it goes back to the ethical like if you shoot it in the ass end then yeah it's gonna hurt yeah it's not going to die a good death, but uh, as long as you're an ethical hunter and you're putting that bullet or arrow where it needs to go. When I killed my deer, um, I shot her. I double lunged her, hit her in both lungs with a with a broadhead, and she ran maybe a hundred yards and piled up. Um, probably the quickest death that you know. It literally did that deer a favor because yeah. in you know five or six years she's going to die from either a truck or disease or old age. Yeah. So, um, Let's see. Uh, the next thing that I really just kind of wanted to talk about was the. He talks about. Uh, I don't know if it's Bhutan or Bhutan. Um, I prefer to say it the Texas way, Bhutan. Um, he talks about his uh, basically death and. Uh, how people aren't very mindful of their death. And he talks about going to uh, Bhutan. Uh, that's what I'm going to call it. I'm just going to butcher the name, I guess. Uh, Bhutan. Uh, he goes there because they're the happiest country in the world. Yeah. Um, and Sam, give us give us your thoughts on that. Kind of explain to us what he's doing in, in Bhutan, Bhutan. Uh, you and I, I don't know if we agree on this point. Um, I I don't, I don't know where I'm at, and I apologize if you're going to listen to this. Sam and I got some stuff to work out because we don't yeah. really know how we feel about it. So. Yeah, I mean, just like everything else, I see both sides to it. Because um, mm-hmm. to me, when I hear, like, being mindful of death, it kind of tells me to, like, live with purpose. Right. And to not take things for advantage. Yeah. Um, 
and it, because kind of like he was saying, he's like, you never know, you know, death can come at any time. He's there. Um, you know, that monk just was just walking up to the monastery and just basically fell over and had a heart attack and died. You yeah, know, he yeah. was perfectly fine five minutes before. So, I mean, it can happen at any time. Yeah. You can be going to work tomorrow and getting a wreck. I mean, so for me, I use that as motivation whenever I don't want to do things. Right. Or when I try to put things off, um, I'm like, well, I could sit here and play video games all day or I could go out and have a nice hike and get something from it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, I see both sides. Um, I kind of also see the, cause they kind of, they don't say it explicitly, but they kind of get into like the materialistic side of it too. Right. Cause they kind of come at it like you're going to die anyway. So you don't need all this shit. Yeah. Which I agree with in some sort, like, but I also think all of your needs need to be met. Mm-hmm. So like you were kind of talking about before we got on here, kind of about like how their healthcare is shit. Like, so yeah, like they probably need some better healthcare. Yeah. But um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. You look at like these cultures that really value, um, how do I say this without getting in a lot of trouble? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I'm, you know, these guys, one thing I actually bracketed here and I put silly beside it cause I thought it was pretty, a pretty silly quote, um, said the king told a reporter gross na- gross national happiness is more important than gross national product um yeah well go to ukraine <laughs> you know you know what i mean like yeah. these these countries that have a, a dog shit uh gdp um or you know gnp is that how you say that no yeah gross domestic product uh their gross national happiest happiness factor really doesn't uh doesn't matter a whole lot when they're getting invaded by tyrannical countries and they don't have the support to to actually help their people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I get what they're saying. I just don't know that it's approached um, the best way. And to give it to give this idea the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, be mindful of your death. And like what you said. Yeah, I know I'm going to die one day, and so I want to get the most out of this life. Yeah, I I do understand that. I I fully understand that. But I also think it can go way too far. For sure. And it's where it gets into the YOLO, yeah. what I call the YOLO community, yeah. to where they're not mindful of how they're actually going to live, yeah. only the fact that they're going to die, and they don't actually plan for the next 60 years. Right. Um, they just say, well, I could die tomorrow, and so yeah. um, they do a lot of stupid shit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just don't know how I feel about it. And yeah. it's probably, I'm going to tell you what, what it is right now, is I probably feel a little bit attacked by what they're saying, and so I'm not fully open to what... What yeah. he's trying to say in the book, but um, yeah, I, I I don't know that if you if you truly try to embrace this, and he talks about it in here. I don't know where. Oh yeah, it says that uh, roughly seventy percent of the Bhutanese, uh, yeah, Bhutanese live in rural areas in small communities of about two hundred people. Uh, most people own land. Yeah, I don't really know what they're. I tried to look into their land ownership. Yeah, of seeing like if people actually own this land. Yeah, and I'm sorry when you're a country next to China that's poor you don't own shit china does yeah. <laughs> you could be your own independent country but yeah. you don't own a fucking thing yeah um china owns you um 
because they're right up next to China, and yeah. if China wanted them, they could absolutely have, or even yeah. India. Yeah. Um, I believe they're right in between China and India. Yeah, I looked it are. up today. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I get it. It's all good. It's feel good. I don't know that it's really applicable in the U.S. I felt like if you if you tried to live like a Bhutanese monk in the U.S., you're going to end up pouring on your ass. Yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how I felt yeah. like it's that. It's just a... Their just entire society just has a different set of core values, and mm-hmm. that's the difference. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And let me put it this way: I think that inside your family unit, uh, I was having a conversation uh, the other day. Everybody knows that listen to this podcast that I absolutely hate a commie. Um, I hate communists with all my heart, um, all my soul. Uh, but I was talking with somebody who's very similar to me in that right uh, at work, and she said, "Yeah, you, you need to be communist inside your family." Um, inside your immediate family of, hey, we are all going to live together and contribute inside your family. And then maybe that grows just a little. Maybe you're halfway communist with your friends. And I want to throw up even saying that. But, um, (laughs) you know, having good, strong family values like the Bhutanese here, uh, it's where we all share and we all are really mindful of death and we all understand that um, we need to live our lives in the present, in the moment, because we are going to die eventually and be content with that. Yeah, do that. And I think that you could apply this in like your family. Um, But on a societal level, I just don't know that it, it really works. Yeah, I don't think it would work here at all. I don't think anybody from Bataan is is curing cancer anytime soon. No. Um, You know, meritocracies have their place. Yeah. And so, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just rambling. And like I said, maybe I'm really defensive because he called Americans ignorant in here. And so, maybe that's why I'm I'm railing pretty hard against it. But And see, another thing that kind of... I don't know. Again, I'm on both sides, too. In the beginning of that chapter, he talks about the cosmic year. Yeah. Where he puts the universe in a year. Yeah. And humanity's only been here for like the last 20 milliseconds. Right. Putting everything into scale. Again, for me, that kind of gives me, it helps me like stay aligned on what's important. Cause like at the yeah. end of the day, I'm like, does it really matter if this dude cut me off in traffic today? No, it doesn't. But at the same time, that shouldn't push you, like you said, to go full YOLO and go cliff jumping every day. Yeah. So it's kind of, but for me. Or just not live for anything. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what I'm getting for. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm getting. is, And there's multiple ways to look at this. There's a positive way to look at the, the mindfulness of death. Yeah. And there's a negative way. Yeah. And for me, it's like, yeah, I know I'm going to die eventually, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find purpose within this life. Right. And do everything I can. Right. Inside that inside that life. I'm going to, I'm going to go get the things I want, you know, because I think they're cool, but I'm also going to find a higher purpose. Right. Um, like a wife and kids and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I just don't, I, I know I'm going to die one day. Right. I know, I, I only have a short amount of time, but also I feel like if you want to talk about people fully taking the advantage of life, it is those people that, yeah, we know we're going to die, but we'll think about that later. Right. We're going to go balls to the wall and get stuff done. Right. And those are the people that live, quote unquote, the American dream. Yeah. And they never actually live. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I, I don't know. That's That's kind of the way... That's kind of the way I'm feeling about it. I, I think it's a really good uh, perspective check. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes to show that, uh, yeah, if being mindful does increase happiness and being community-minded, I think if you take away anything from this, it's that strong communities build happiness. And sure. that uh, if you live in a small country where you've only got 200 people, um, small communities do yeah. build happiness. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if you just look at... Again, it would never work here, but if you just look at where they're at, I mean, how would you feel 
if you own land and your house was paid for and you didn't have to worry about health care and you know like yeah that'd be pretty nice you would have a yeah. lot less stress so yeah. like it makes sense but it, it just doesn't work here well and i feel like it's an attack on the on the mindset of always be getting better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like right. Americans always want a better house. They always want better shoes. They yeah. Always, yeah. Uh, I understand that if it's put towards a materialistic, if, if all you want is materials, then that's fine. But if what you really want is to be better continually, right. like, yeah, have your priorities straight. Yeah. Like we, we all know the dude that, uh, is broke as shit and he doesn't do anything with his money except for buy like really really cool lego figures <laughs> you know what i mean like we know that guy and yeah. he's got two thousand you know twenty thousand dollars worth of action figures yeah in his back room yeah. but he works at walmart and right. eats like dog shit yeah yeah we don't want that and yeah. then we know the guy that has financed out his whole life on boats and jet skis and stuff like that. Doesn't spend any time around his wife. Yeah. Doesn't spend any time with his kids and goes and he makes $350,000 a year, blows it all. Yeah. Um, and has a shitty family life. That's not what we we're saying to do. Yeah. But I do think that the desire to continually get better and provide more has created more, uh, more pros than it has cons. Probably so. And, and I feel like the perspective that he's trying to present here is that that, that mental style is, is yeah. cons. And I will, I will uh, add that he's about to, we only went to 210 because that's the end of this section. He's about to clarify. And I don't exactly remember um, from the last time I read the book, what he ends on. So I may have a, a complete perspective change uh, next episode um, when he kind of elaborates on this idea of uh, being more mindful of death. So what, what, what do you have any final thoughts on, on the death thing? Um, no, not really. I think we kind of covered everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just to like, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of a, and like I said, that one, that one, uh, comment about gross, na- gross national happiness is more important than gross <laughs> national product. I was just like, you live on the equator dog. Like you're, 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 they're, their their yeah. climate is extremely moderate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're not having to pull people out of poverty. I don't think um, finding food isn't really a big deal there because I think it's an agricultural society. Yeah, and the, and there's they don't have a huge population density. No, and they don't. And I mean, they're living their standards are so much lower than here. You know, they don't have yeah. paved roads. Most of the people probably don't even have cars. They don't have you know right. like. When your bar is that low, it's a lot easier to be happy. Uh, and that's a good point. And I heard Ben Shapiro talk about this today of like, and maybe it was yesterday, is they want to bring you down. Uh, not these people specifically, but if you look at like the left, um, people say, well, if we all just suffer, yeah. then we'll all be okay with suffering. Yeah. And you know what I mean? That's kind of what they're doing. Their whole society is set up that way. Yeah. So... Yeah. And that's where it's like, it, it's, it's just gross to me. I guess I'm, I'm such a staunch capitalist and American <laughs> that that's why it's kind of gross to me is because I'm like, no, you're saying that if I accept your shitty healthcare system and your shitty houses, um, and I'm okay with wearing sandals 24 seven and not having a, you know, a vehicle, right. then I'll be more happy. I don't, I don't really, I don't really think that. And I think where we can find common ground here is that I think these people have a lot of purpose inside their communities. They do. Um, they have a lot of purpose inside their communities and they find that purpose by being mindful of their death. Right. And so, yeah, maybe we agree on that. I just don't really agree with the whole, let's all be poor and happy together. Right. Well, that kind of goes back to the 150 rule. I don't know if that was yeah, in yeah, the yeah. section or the yeah. first section. Yeah, uh, it was... I think it was in the first section. Yeah, it was in the first section. Yeah. Yeah, the, the rule of 150. And he calls that out here. Let me see. Um, let's see. 
I forget where it's at. He he calls it out about the uh, um, the 150 rule, but I don't I don't see where it is. Sorry, I, yeah. I didn't mark it. And that that was another thing too that I've always kind of noticed, but I didn't really know what was going on. Right. Like the other day, actually, after reading this, I went through my uh, contacts. I have 30 contacts on my phone. Yeah. Um, and even that, I think I might have purged some from that because I'm like, oh, I don't know this guy anymore. Like, right. And it's always been through stages of my life. Like, you know, in high school, I knew so many people, and then when I went to college, that group changed. So I, you know, I lost some people from high school. I gained some new people. Like when I would get a new job, same thing. Yeah. So I, I, the 150 makes a lot of sense to me because you can't always keep up with everybody all the time yeah well and um 30 contacts is extremely surprising for you um <laughs> to be honest and i yeah. would bet if we scrolled through your text messages it would be like me oh, mckinley like yeah up there at the top yeah. and then like three other people that you haven't texted in six months yeah so, exactly um for you thrive in the not even 150 rule the 50 no. rule yeah pretty much <laughs> um the 50 rule but no like i said i get i get what they're saying i don't want to ramble on it too much because i feel like a hurt kid um like you just called me fat you, you talk <laughs> shit on america and i'm gonna i'm gonna have a few issues with that but uh, no i get what they're saying be mindful of death uh understand l- let me let me try to sum up my feelings this way and say look understand that uh you only have a certain amount of time in this world to make an impact and you need to make that impact don't constantly think about your death. Don't constantly think about what's going to happen when you die or that other people are going to die constantly. Just understand that the best way for you to live life, I think, is for you to wake up every day and say, how am I going to make an impact with the relatively short time that I have here? Um, and it, it's kind of like, I'm going to, I may fuck up this analogy, but when we're talking about calorie dense food, calories per pound, uh, let's talk about influence and uh positive, uh, positive energy per day. Um, that's a good way to look at it is cause you don't have an infinite amount of days to create positive energy, how much positive energy and, uh, how much good are you putting into the world per day? Try to look at it in that because we know that our time is, is finite. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and, and yeah, what that means. And one thing that I don't know if he addresses in the future is that the amount of positive that you can do in the world is greatly, greatly benefited with the amount of money and success that you have. Um, now that's not to say that you have to have money and success to do positive things in the world, but, uh, to, you know, if you're a billionaire, um, (laughs) your charitable donations can go a lot farther than what they would if you only made 50, $60,000 a year. Um, Money and success does allow you to put more positive vibes and do more with uh, with the time that you have. And yeah. so I think that's why I was so jaded by what he was saying. Yeah. Um, Andy on the Norse mentality, he talks about it. He's like money is equals opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, not for materialistic things, but for opportunities and experiences. Yep. Yeah. And my Andy, Andy Frazella, um, he always talks about if you really want to help the people around you, get not fat and get successful. Yeah. Um, if you want to help your communities and you want to help the people around you, strive for excellence. Be excellent. Yeah. And that's kind of the route that, and I know that's not the point of this. Yes, be mindful of your death. Uh, death makes people uncomfortable, but uh, use that to your advantage and use it as a motivator to be excellent with the time that you have on the world. I think. Or have we beat the beat the horse beyond death? I think so. Cool. I think it's. I think it's well beaten. Yeah. Um, so, guys, that's really all I have for this section. Do you have anything else on this section, Sam? Uh, no, not really. 
So uh, we're about to do a full-length episode for Sunday. We're going to go ahead and record that today. I'm excited for it, guys. This is Wednesday before Christmas. Uh, have a good Christmas. Have a good uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's going to be cold as shit Yeah. Uh, for the next few days if you live it in is. Amarillo. Um, it's going to be pretty damn cold is what they say. Of course, I don't know. Every time every time they say anything, I can always guess the opposite. Yeah, that's um, true. Last time they were expecting 12 inches of snow. I was like, it'll probably be three. Yeah. And we got zero. Nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I I hope it. I hope it stays pretty, uh, pretty mild um, out there. Uh, I think I'm gonna go do a ruck out in the cold tomorrow. Nice. Uh, somebody was saying that it was gonna be like negative thirty tomorrow with wind chills. With wind chills, oh, okay. it's like wind chill is gonna be negative thirty. So nice. We'll see how it goes, but I think I'm gonna go ruck and get super uncomfortable tomorrow. Yeah. It's gonna. It's really gonna fucking suck. I may be beating on your door. So for for context, <laughs> Sam and I live in the exact like almost exact same neighborhood, and uh, his house is exactly a mile away from mine. And uh, it's just, it's convenient because I've got somebody, I, I ruck a mile one way and a mile back. So I always just go to his house just in case I need help or need to stop and go to the bathroom or anything like that. And so I may, I may come to your house tomorrow and be like, please, dear God, let me in. Um, I quit. <laughs> like, t- take me home. Um, but anyway, we're going to try it. Thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, thanks, Sam, for introducing me to the comfort crisis. Thanks yeah. for coming on to yeah. share your notes. Yeah. So, no problem. Awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah.